Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about menswear and clothing, old and new, from a perspective of buying, wearing, evaluating, appreciating and collecting. The idea is to provide a non-fashion view of what men might wear if they knew more about it and the stories that go with. There will likely be no mention of tailoring or pocket squares. This is episode 5 of season 0 and in this episode I talk tweed with Rebecca Hutton, an independent weaver of Harris Tweed on the Isle of Harris in the Hebridean Isles off the coast of Scotland. We talk about the history and social significance of the tweed, what it entails to be an independent weaver and what the future for Harris Tweed looks like. Hello Becca. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Coming through loud and clear. Everything okay? Video sound. It is, yeah. How are, how are things in? Is it Luskentire? No, Norston. <laughs> Luskentire is far down on the list of the nice places in Harrow. <laughs> it's uh, several miles along the road, is it? It is. And uh, it is beautiful, but Norston's nicer. But for those that don't realise, you are now live from the Outer Hebrides? Yeah, yeah, the Isle of Harris. The Isle of Harris. And you are an independent Harris Tweed weaver. I am. What does that really mean, to be an independent Harris Tweed weaver? And I know that's a massively large question, and <laughs> you can talk for the next two hours about it, but just to get us started. Yeah, so um, there, there are two types of Harris Tweed weavers. You have the weavers who predominantly work for the mill, um, and then you have the independent weavers. Now, all weavers are still self-employed and technically work for themselves. But um, mill weavers will, will receive um, a beam with a warp on it from the mill. They're told what to weave, the pattern, the draft, everything like that. They're given all the yarn they need for it. They weave it, and then the milk comes back, picks it up, and they get paid for every metre of the weave. Independent weavers, like myself, um, we, we do everything. <laughs> so we design the tweeds that we're going to make. We buy the yarn. We do our own washing, And then, obviously, we weave it. And then we use the mills. We take the mills to actually wash and finish our tweeds. Um, get rid of all the excess dye, um, shrink up the fabric a little bit. And while it's up there, we also, um, the Harris Tweed Authority, take the opportunity to inspect the tweed, um, hopefully stamp the tweed. Uh, it's quite important, or else it's not Harris Tweed. Um, and then we would go and collect the tweeds again, take them back, and then they're ours to sell on to hopefully lots of people who want to buy. Does that make sense? Does that help? It does. So the, the, I try to keep it as short as possible. <laughs> independent weavers really weave to order from the mills, and the independents use the mills but make their own stuff and do most of the work themselves. Yeah, absolutely. The only downside is that any mistakes made when working are their own, and we can't blame anybody else for that. I couldn't catch what you said then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I was just saying the, the only downside is that when warping, so yeah. preparing the length we in the ground, any mistakes made are our own and we can't blame anyone else for it. That's right, because normally the mills would have done that for yeah, exactly. made to order weaves. Um, I'm, I'm sure we've really sort of taken several steps too far straight away now because I'm sure a lot <laughs> of the people listening in would actually like a 
sort of potted history of Harris Tweed and what makes it so unique. Because in the world of fabrics, there are certain things that make Harris Tweed completely unique. Yeah. Um, again, I'll try and keep this as, as short as I can. <laughs> um, so Harris Tweed in itself is a fabric, like any other. It's a woolen fabric. What makes it unique um, is that it, every inch of Harris Tweed is hand-woven. There are no electric looms or anything like that. Every inch is woven at the weaver's own home or on their craft. So it's not being done in the factory. As part of the rules, you're not allowed to actually have more than two looms in place, otherwise you'd be considered a factory. It's also governed by its own act of parliament. So there are legal rules um, and definitions that govern how and where Harris Tweed is made. It has to be made in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. can't be made anywhere else in the world, only here. And um, it started, well, I mean, the people were weaving here, you know, from, from whenever they were looms. Um, but Lady Dunmore, whose family owned Harris at that time, was the first to really... Um, get involved in mass marketing if you like. She took the cloth that was being made here and realised how strong and durable um, and, and sustainable it was, marketed it on the mainland to all her rich friends, and because obviously it came from Harris, what she was using, it became known as Harris Tweed. Um, if she don't Lewis, it might be Lewis Tweed would be weaving now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's Harris Tweed. Um, it is absolutely unique. The yarn used in Harris Tweed is dyed in the fleece, not dyed in the yarn. Um, so if you want me to explain that a bit more, I'm more than happy to. Um, if it's... Just tell me when I'm warbling on for too long. <laughs> or not making sense. No, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I was thinking, though, um, when I visited you and um, another weaver, there were basically two types of weave being used and the one you use is sort of pretty much from around the time of the industrial revolution isn't it it's a really old weave oh the looms yeah yeah yeah. Looms. Yeah. yeah so again um today there's two types being used um the predominantly speaking mill weavers will weave on a newer double width rapier loop it's still hand woven yeah, so they weave double the width of cloth, so approximately 1 metre 50. Um, and then there's the Hattersley looms, like I weave on. And there's two types of Hattersley loom, just to complicate things. The Mark 1 loom came up here in the 1920s, and it's a shuttle loom. So it uses boat shuttle to actually take the yarn back and forth um, in the weft. And then... And those looms are still being used today. The ones that came up in the 1920s are still being woven on. And then I use a Mark II, which is just a slightly newer version of the Mark I. Still a subtle loom, still hand-woven and everything. Um, wooden looms that they had before then. I don't know if anybody's still weaving on a wooden loom. There's um, some amount of work involved in that. <laughs> but it must be the case then that if you have the newer double width loom you're basically making twice as much yeah for the effort absolutely um and it's you know there's the double width loom is easier to weave on there's no doubt about that um, and like that you, you know, what you're producing is is good you know so 
Yeah, it is good to live in that way, but for me, growing up here, the sound I heard, you know, in the summer of Sweden is the sound of a hapisli loom. Um, it's got a very distinctive clickety-clack kind of sound. Um, and, I don't know, to me, that, that's Harris Tweed. That's what I saw growing up. That's what I associate with it. So, while I could produce more tweeds than a double with loom, um, I... Yeah, you're never gonna you're never gonna get me away from my Hattersley. <laughs> the Hattersley does just look so much more authentic and <laughs> characteristic. Uh, the rapier sort of kind of modern. Sorry, the the rapier just looks sort of kind of modern and uh, just doesn't look yeah. right. Hmm. Hello. There you are. <laughs> I think I need a tin pan and a bit of string. <laughs> yeah, you were gone for quite a while there. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether it's my app or the internet connection or what, but um, hopefully it'll last another wee while now. <laughs> I was just telling the listeners that uh, the tweed jacket we see behind me here is the one, uh, the Norfolk jacket that is made from your tweed. Proper, proper. The proper, proper tweed. <laughs> That's the <laughs> little in-joke there. <laughs> yeah. It's a special Vincent Waite Harris Tweed, which uh, Becky made uh, two, three years ago now. Must be about three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, we spoke a bit about the looms and the weaving. Uh, what sort of impact does Harris Tweed have for the community on the Hebrides? Um, that's an interesting question, actually. I mean, obviously, years ago, it had a huge impact. And then the industry almost died a death completely. It's now building up again. And it's far more sustainable than it's ever been. And it's now providing employment again, which is fantastic. And employment not just in terms of being a weaver or a mill worker, but in, in, in staffing shops that are selling products to do with Harris Speed. In starting up other businesses that are maybe utilising or incorporating Harris Tweed in them. So, yeah, it's been huge here. There's nearly an area in the island that won't have some connection or benefiting in some way economically from Harris Tweed industry. So, and the fact that it's protected by law and can only be made on the Hebrides, not even the Scottish mainland, yep, that's it. does mean that there are quite a large part of the jobs in the Hebrides are tweed related. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and like I said, even in terms of, you know, people coming here to see the tweed being woven or to buy tweed or, you know, it's one thing buying online, but sometimes you just want to come to a place. Um, you know, so that then also benefits accommodation providers, you know, and, and people like that. So it really, it, you know, it, it's involving an awful lot of the, the island economy. More than you'd think when you first, you know, well, think I, of Harris Tweed. I know when I was there, I started sort of thinking and observing, because there's not really that many people in the Hebrides, and mm. there's not a sort of huge range of jobs available in any sort of scale. Um, but you start sort of thinking about how many people are working within the Tweed industry, and you see that, well, without it, it would be a real struggle. Yes. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, here there's always been that um, history and um, tradition, I suppose, of people working in different industries at the same time. Um, and by that, I mean, if you know, if you're crossing 
we would also sometimes be a fisherman and a weaver and you know, maybe the local postman as well. <laughs> you know, so everybody had multiple jobs. So it's not. It, it might be. I don't, I don't know what it looks like from the inside, but certainly here, you know, to have all these kind of almost like tentacles that are you know woven together and and people being involved in it in this way and in that way, and you know, being involved in different areas as well. It's not unusual for us. It might seem strange from the outside, you know, but I think for here, and it works. It works very well. And, and also, I, I hate talking about the pandemic and stuff now, but it sort of preempted the whole working from home thing as well. I think <laughs> have to work from home. Absolutely. Which is probably brilliant. And also lets people with, I mean, just the fact that you don't have to go leave home to go to work does mean that you have opportunities for combining weaving with other things. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I visited you, you were talking about why it was so special for you to be able to work from home. Because yeah, with my brother. you could take care of your, your family. and you, you... Yeah, and again, you know, I don't think you can underestimate how important it is to be able to do these things. Um, you know, there are very few jobs um, that I would be able to do where I could still, you know, look after my brother, especially, who's got various needs. Um, but also have a job that I find fulfilling and that I enjoy, you know. And, and that's the beauty about this. I love what I do. I love weaving. And it doesn't feel like work. It's something I get to do in my garden, in my shed. Love my shed. Um, you know, and, and also allows me to make an income, meet people, um, being an islander, obviously, I love to talk, um, and I love meeting new people all the time, as you experienced when you visited my shed. <laughs> you know, and, and, and getting to meet new people, getting to work from home, you know, not having a huge commute in the morning, not, sitting, not sitting in traffic or anything like that. You can't underestimate how important that is. And I think, you know, again, I don't want to dwell too much about, about the pandemic and everything that's going on, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it actually shows people, you know, the benefits to working from home um, and being able to maybe structure your work as well slightly differently, maybe not working that's a bit more nine to five. I do most of my work in the evening um, and I tend to work quite late. I've always been a bit of a night owl and it suits me, but it suits how I, what the things I do with my brother as well. So, yeah, maybe, maybe more people will be working from home after this and that's no bad thing. That sort of nicely puts us into the sort of environmental aspect as well of Tweed because while maybe the dyes used in Harris Tweed aren't fully environmentally friendly yet, as I understood it from the mill at least three years ago, the fact that you're using pure wool, which is probably the most environmentally friendly fibre you can find, and making fabric that will last a long time by hand is very environmentally friendly. Uh, and working from home with no commute really takes down the the carbon footprint. Is that something you ever think about, how super environmentally friendly you are? Oh, no, it is, actually. Um, and I, think I only started thinking about it when somebody asked why we don't use natural dyes anymore. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, actually, I don't know why. So I went off to find out. And it's one of those very strange things where actually to use natural products for dyeing, isn't as sustainable as using the chemical synthetic dyes. 
and the and it's well known here the the crochtal, which is the kind of like a mossy thing that was that was that grew on rocks that was used to to dye back in the day. You had to go further and further inland to try and find some because it just wasn't there. And that then got me thinking, like you were saying about all the other benefits. Um, you know, and I mean, it's, it's well documented the benefits of wool anyway and everything that's done. But, but yeah, Harris Tweed, I mean, it's hand woven. If the pair I can still work. Um, I might need a head torch if it's late at night, but I, I can still work. Yeah. So I'm not needing any power like that in order to keep it going. Um, and, and even in terms of, of mileage and things, although I do have to travel up to the mill and back um, and things like that, because it's all down here in the islands, the travel isn't huge. Um, and we also, the weavers in Harris, we, we share it so that you don't have, you know, three, four, five of us going up on a day to collect tweeds, for example. One person will go and collect everybody's tweed, you know. So so it is, and it's important to have those kind of industries um, where we are reducing or keeping the environmental um, footprint as low as possible. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about using moss as a natural dye, and that that was how they used it before because um, much is made of the sort of um, colours and hues of the tweeds and how that's um, found in nature and so forth. Yeah. Actually when you visit the mill and see the fleeces dyed before they're spun together they're very far from natural colours. They're more like sort of looking like uh, pencil set or something coloured pencils all primary colours and that's what you see as well when you really look closely at a tweed. That you're not finding the mossy greens or greys or or browns all mixed up. Uh, well, I mean, I think to an extent there are still some, you know, of the older, you know, more natural looking colours. Um, but even a lot of the brights, it's amazing how you'll see them still in nature and that. You know, maybe on a on a sea pink or a wee, you know, wild primrose, and you'll get this very vibrant, you know, yellow and that coming through. But um, but yeah, when you see it in that in that kind of just dyed in the wool state, it can look very shocking, especially if you're used to a to a tweed or seeing Harris tweed in its more finished form. Um, and and but it is great, and I always say this to everybody. You know, if you are looking at tweed or even a bobbin of yarn, look closely, you know, and see all the colours that are there. And and they are. You will almost always see those colours in the landscape around you. Well, maybe not if you're in a city, I suppose. I'll, I'll caveat it with that. But certainly, if you're if you're in the, you know, the 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 islands or whatever, you'll certainly see a lot of those colours around you. It's still very much governed by by what we see. Uh, the Harris Tweed Authority is is worth following their Instagram just for the the photos they do of nature and then a tweed showing yeah. the play of colours. Because uh, the Harris Tweed Authority came to be, was it 25 years or so ago? Uh, yeah, it was the Harris Tweed Association before then, um, and they were formed in the 20s. Um, but yeah, it was when the Act of Parliament was whatever ratified properly uh, things. I think it was 1993. Then the Harris Tweed Authority was, was born. And they're there to promote and protect the brand above all else because obviously it's trademark and everything like that. But um, yeah, they do, they do a great job of, of promoting the tweed itself. And like that, through the photos where you get to see, um, you know, that correlation between the landscape and the tweeds and everything. I've often wondered who sits with all that pile of photos trying to work out <laughs> and match them up. 
That must be a hell of a job. But the Harris Street Authority also are masters of the stamp, aren't they? They are, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. We still we still call it stamping. Um, the action you just did there about the stamp, I still do it. Um, although it's now an iron transfer. <laughs> Um, although back in the day, and there's a lady in Harris here whose one of her forebears was a stamper with, um, well, the association back then it would have been. And she actually has a stamp, a proper stamp. So it's got a wooden kind of handle on it, and then inlaid into it in metal is the, the orb and the woven in Harris and everything, obviously back to front. And they would actually, you know, they would put whatever ink on there and actually physically stamp the cloth. Um I would love it to go back to a stamp, although I'm sure the stampers wouldn't be very happy that they'd have all these extra extra work to do. But um, yeah, nowadays it is an iron-on transfer um, that if need be, you can always scrape off again. I don't know why you'd want to scrape it off, but you can. Um, and you can, I can choose to get how, as many stamps as I want um, in a boat of cross. But I get them just one at the start, one at the end. Um, to prove that it is genuine Harris Street. But I, I could get it done every metre or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think you shouldn't get fed up of seeing a stamp everywhere when you're trying to make up a bag or a jacket or a pair of trousers or something. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it would make a difference if the end user actually was looking at the back and would see the stamp. It must have been about 20 years ago or so that Harris Street sort of came out of the slump and suddenly experienced this huge surge in popularity again. Yep. Um, when Nike uh, called up um, McKay, and yeah. it's it's pretty a pretty well known story. But that was sort of when things really started going the way for Harris Tweed again. Yeah, absolutely. It 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 coincided with um, the well, I I don't know exactly, but I mean certainly the what's now Harris Tweed Hebrides in Shawburst. They were. Um, <laughs> In difficulty at the time, um, and there was only really the one main mill left in Stornoway, and there were a few independent weavers around, and one of them, like you said, was Donald John uh, Mackay. And yeah, Nike came up here um, and visited him, liked his tweeds, wanted to use it in the picture, and asked him if he would make them a thousand meters, and he said, "Yeah, no problem." And then. His wife got a phone call that afternoon saying they'd made a mistake and it was 10,000 metres that he was looking for. And uh, for one man and a loom, that is going to take a long time. <laughs> it's, it's not... It's not <laughs> how many metres would you typically manage in the evening? If everything's going well with the loom, um, and unfortunately it doesn't always, but if it is, I weave about four metres an hour. So, you know... Four Even, you know, putting in a full 10-hour shift, just weaving, you're still only doing 40 metres. Um, and I don't know many people who could put in a full 10-hour shift just weaving. <laughs> I can't, anyway. But, um, yeah, it would take him a long time. So he actually, he then um, worked in collaboration with the mill at the time. Because, obviously, he needed a huge amount of yarn, you know, for that as well, if nothing else. And then he got other weavers. Um, involved to eat for him, altered his design and everything, and the mill helped out with the yarn and washing and getting the to weaver and things, and then obviously finishing that amount of tweet. And that, you know, it got people back in to the industry that had maybe, you know, left or were thinking about leaving and, you know, giving them some work for a while. 
and like anything, once other companies saw Nike using this, this fabric, they, they, what's that? I want some of that. I need to use it. And then, you know, other footwear companies start using them in footwear. Other fashion companies rediscovered how to do if you like. Um, and, and again, the environmental um, side of it can be underestimated here as well because a lot of companies are wanting to have more traceability and sustainability in the products and stuff. So it just it all worked so well. Um, and, I mean, if it hadn't been for, for Donald, uh, Donald John, who knows what we'd have at the moment. If he'd been out the day they came or was a real holiday, <laughs> maybe, maybe we wouldn't be here just now. Yeah, because things are looking pretty bright these days, aren't they? Sorry? The, the, the future of Harris Street at the moment is looking pretty good. Absolutely. Um, it is. It's spread out now again um, around the world. We're not as reliant on one market as, as had been in the past. Um, and I think as well there's, you know, newer colours being used, newer yarn colours being developed. There's a lighter weight fabric being used. Um, you don't get your own proper, proper Harris tweed, the old heavy standard weight anymore, which I think is a shame. I think it would be good to have the three weights. But the, the medium weight tweed is now the heaviest weight you get um, at standard. But it, it means now the lighter weight tweed can be used for children's clothing, um, for, you know, maybe more likely women's clothing and stuff. Um, you can also now get everything in Harris Street from hats and scarves and bags and purses and wallets and, you know, bedspreads and curtains and, and anything you can think of is now made in Harris Street. And that's good as well. It's not just a jacket and plus fours and maybe a cap, you know. Um, and that's good. You know, you want to spread these things out. You want to give it, you know, a little bit more in. I don't really know what the word is, but so that if one part of it starts to dip, you know, if maybe the trend for a Harris Street jacket starts to dip again, that doesn't mean the end of the industry because maybe the trend for Harris Street bags will increase at that time, you know. And I'm very lucky. Being independent, I obviously, you know, make far fewer metres of tweed than, than the mills are doing. Um, and I can do smaller, shorter, bespoke tweeds for people which I do quite often, as well as getting to just make tweeds I like um, and hope that people like them too and buy them. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm far more able to adapt to the kind of changing environment. I don't need to worry about having to use a thousand metres of tweeds a week or anything. So. Um, yeah, very lovely. But it's looking good. It's looking good. And hopefully everybody watching this might decide to buy a bit of tweed at some point. <laughs> I can recommend it strongly. Uh, it's an interesting point you make there about people thinking Harris Tweed, oh, that's my granddad's jacket. Uh, because that's really completely not the case yeah. really any longer. Well, I mean, after Nike used it for their trainers, uh, I mean, that was clearly <laughs> taking it to a completely different place. So, uh, Absolutely. And it's amazing. I love seeing experimental people are with Harris Tweed. You know, you can really just let your imagination run riot. And, you know, some people are, are reinventing, if you like, or re-examining how Tweed was used in the past and are just changing it up a bit. You'll still get your Harris Tweed jacket, but maybe now it's not such a formal jacket. It's now maybe like a bomber jacket or, um, you know, a kind of baseball 
style jacket and things like that. You know, and people are reimagining, and I think that's exciting. You know, let your imagination run by it and think, what could I do? You know, and it doesn't have to be 100% Paris too. You can mix it with other fabrics, other colours, other designs, other ideas, you know. I mean, it's a bit like what you do when you take item of clothing and then you reimagine it for another item. You know, treasure to waistcoats. I think things like that are fantastic. You know? It's all good fun. Uh, one, <laughs> one, one question I did want to ask, and I, mm -hmm. because I, people often get confused about this. Uh, the actual wool used for Harris Tweed, where does that come from? Yeah, um, when people come here to visit, they see a lot of sheep. And they assume that all the wool comes from the sheep here. We don't actually have enough sheep. It might look like we do, but we don't. So all the wool comes from Scotland. <clears throat> Excuse me. And while the 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 clips, the, the pieces that are drawn from the sheep here, they'll be included in within that. There are there are main pieces in Harris Street. Okay. So, it's, so it's not strictly local, but pretty much as local as you could get it. Yeah, yeah. It's just otherwise you all have to wait a bit longer to tweeds while we wait for the sheep to grow somewhere. At least it's not being shipped over from Australia or somewhere. Really. Oh no, no, not at all. It is all covered. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to include, sort of, before we uh, wrap up? Oh, that's a dangerous question. Once I start, I could be here for six hours. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I. Except to say that if anybody does have any questions, um, I mean, I can see bits coming up here just now. I'm more than happy to answer them. Um, I'm always worried I'm going to miss out a really important part or a really interesting part of the Harris Street story, if you like. So more than happy to answer questions now or in the future. You can find me all over the place, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, yeah. I'll be careful to link you in because I have to admit, Becca, that I can never remember how to spell your <laughs> company name or how you pronounce it. I can remember the first four letters. That's it. Well, that's enough when you're searching for me, I think. <laughs> yeah, so my company name, which looks very odd, um, is Turf Tua Tweed. And Turf Tua is the Gaelic for Northern, the village I'm from. So Northern is and Turf Tua. And when I started... Um, I will be honest, I had no idea that I would, uh, you know, seven years later be standing in my shed speaking to somebody overseas, you know, about hand speed. I, I didn't think about other people coming in, so I thought, that's a nice alliteration. Um, I'll, I'll call my business two, two tweets. And it's been nothing but, um, well, I suppose it's memorable. But yeah, nobody ever knows how to pronounce it or... <laughs> or anything. There we go. Because really, it's only people in your village, I suppose, who might actually get it. Yes. Anybody, anybody in Harris will know it. Um, and yeah, and then it's funny as well because although Interf Tour is a Gaelic for Northern, Herve Tour um, directly translated just means North Side. So technically, I'm North Side Tweed. So yeah. put that into to Google Translate for Scottish Gaelic and you might get two to feeds. <laughs> okay, Becca, thanks a lot. This was great. And, uh, oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Let you get back to your loom. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right. Bye for now.
that's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in and see you next time. Thank you.